Welcome to the About Sex Podcast. I'm your host, Angela Skirtu. I'm a licensed marriage therapist in the state of Missouri and an ASECT certified sex therapist. You can find me at www.therapistinstlouis.com. And today I'm interviewing Marcia Evers, Levy, like Chevy. That's right. That's right. All right. So you are the president and founder of Meet Me St. Louis. And what you do is you bring authors and artists to St. Louis to speak about their newly released published works, creating exciting and innovative presentations with a portion of proceeds from each event going to a different area charity. Thank you for coming on the show, Marcia. I'd love to be here. I'm going to say that really slowly again and again the entire (laughs) episode. I feel so bad because I've known Marcia now for a while and every time I've said her name wrong. (laughs) Someone once told me if I had married Jerry Garcia, no one would ever mispronounce my name again. Oh, man. You should introduce yourself like that. I'm Marcia. Marcia, like Garcia, and then everybody like, okay, we got it. It's That's good. Right. <laughs> All right. Well, <laughs> so tell tell me a little bit more about what you do. What makes you awesome? That's what I like to have people say. How are you awesome? How am I awesome? <laughs> um, well, I like to think I'm awesome because I bring awesome people to St. Louis mm-hmm. for people in St. Louis to meet. Like, who are some of those awesome people? I want to know. <laughs> well, um, we have lots of them. Uh, we, if first of all, if you like to read, mm-hmm. then everyone we bring is awesome. They're not just named celebrities. Um, but if we look at some of the authors that we've brought in, um, Martin Fletcher, who's the NBC News Bureau Chief uh, in the Middle East, um, Leslie Stahl from 60 Minutes, mm-hmm. um, going away from the news end of things, uh, Debbie Maycumber, who writes romance novels. Um, we also have had Lisa Scottolini, who writes legal thrillers. Mm-hmm. Um, we've also had Bob Gibson, the famous uh, Hall of Famer pitcher for the Cardinals. Oh, wow. Um, Got a lot of cool names, huh? Absolutely. Bruce Feiler, who writes all about religions. Mm-hmm. Um, we've had um, Clint Hill, who was the Secret Service agent for five presidents. Interesting. Speaking of presidents and what's going on uh, You know, as I'm today. listening to these names, I'm thinking to myself, am I like not a cool person because I don't know them? <laughs> no, don't, don't think that way at all. I'm like, I'm sure it would have been really <laughs> awesome when I found out about them. <laughs> you know, it's, um, it's helpful when people know the name because mm-hmm. then they come automatically. But I always tell people, even if you don't know who the person is, you should come because the minute they start talking, mm-hmm. you go, Oh yeah! Oh, I know and that person. I gotcha. Go. I gotcha. There you go. Um, just for instance, Clint Hill. Um, most people remember his image more than his name. Mm-hmm. He was the Secret Service agent who jumped on the back of the Kennedy limousine. Oh, that you know everybody remembers that minute if they've ever seen the film mm-hmm. of the assassination of John F. Kennedy. He oh, jumped wow. on the back of the limousine. Um, but what they may not know about Clint Hill is he was also the secret, the presidential Secret Service agent for five presidents. Wow, what are some of the, I mean, that's a really cool thing that he did there. So what's he write about in his book? He writes about experiences that he had with all the presidents. Mm -hmm. Um, And I remember one story in particular, which was hysterical. Um, He was traveling with Lyndon Johnson Mm -hmm. over the Christmas holiday that we're approaching right now. And they were on Air Force One. They had stopped at um, uh, an Air Force base Mm -hmm. and... Johnson was in the presidential bedroom on the plane having a sleep, 
and all having a sleep, so to speak, having a nap, (laughs) whatever. Um, (laughs) And everyone else wanted to get off and go into the. um, I know there's a name for it. I'm sorry, it escapes me right now. Uh, The PX, I think they call it, where they wanted to go in and find some presents for their family members. Mm -hmm. So they all got off and. Johnson wakes up, comes out, and says, Clint, where is everybody? Mm-hmm. And Clint says, well, they all went in to get Christmas presents. Nobody had time to go shopping. And, oh. and Johnson says to him, well, I didn't have time to go shopping either. Let's go. And <laughs> that over, would have been such a great story. <laughs> that's the story. And it gets even better because Johnson had pajamas on. Oh, he's wearing pajamas so as he went shopping for Christmas presents? Yes, with a, with a trench coat. Over his pajamas. I'm the president, damn it. I can go shopping whichever way I want. That's right. (laughs) Damn it. Give me some presents. And I mean, that's just like one of the stories he told. That's so interesting. Slices of life that were more than what. You know, the public got to see about presidents. Is he allowed to share those stories? Like, because I want, you know, he's he the Secret now. Service agent, right? He is now, <laughs> for sure. Huh, I see. So that's how it goes. You have to have enough time passed, and then you're allowed to share all the dirty laundry details of your presidents. <laughs> like, they're dead anyways. It's not a big deal. I, I don't think he's going to be too <laughs> upset of, by that story. It's um, rolling over in his grave like, I'll get you. That's right. <laughs> right. Not in my PJs. <laughs> <laughs> That's a really cool so, story, huh? It was. And he also had stories to talk about, you know, behind the scenes of, of very um, political situations, mm-hmm. world affairs. Um, you know, he never said anything that would have, you know, compromised a situation. But it sure. was just not no security breaches, right? I mean, he saw things that nobody else ever saw. Mm-hmm. So it was it was just fascinating to hear him speak. What interested you in this line of work? Um, I was in advertising and public relations in New York, and I moved here um, with my husband and my daughter, and I was looking for a job, and um, I took a job at the Jewish Community Center doing special events for them, Mm -hmm. and they had a book festival. Okay. And the book festival there was the St. Louis Jewish Book Festival. Okay. And it was held once a year in November. And they brought in Jewish authors or books of Jewish content. Mm-hmm. Um, and they asked me if I would run it. And I said yes. And so I ran that for about uh, 18 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I started, it was, you know, it, it wasn't small, but it was a... Um, it when I let's talk about when I left the festival. Okay. Um, it we featured about thirty five authors mm-hmm. um, over two weeks plus standalone programs throughout the year. Okay. Um, we usually opened with a headliner, uh, Goldie Hawn, uh, William Shatner. Um, Neil Simon, Stephen Sondheim. I mean, names that most people didn't have to say who. Yeah, um, I'm like, those I definitely yes. know. Oh, William yes. Shatner, <laughs> to have him on the show. <laughs> and then during the run, the two weeks of the festival, mm-hmm. um, you know, we had three authors a day, morning, afternoon, and evening. Mm-hmm. And there were some with their, you know, brand new authors with a brand new book. No one ever heard of them before. And then we had other authors, Susan Isaacs and um, people who had written numerous books. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I would always tell the people, you know, the ones you don't know are the ones you should come see. Those are the cool ones. They always right. have such unique stories. Exactly. And those are the ones that 
a year from now, five years from now, mm-hmm. you're going to be seeing all over the headlines. Honestly, when I look for interviews here, I always look for those people with unique stories. Now, for those of you listening and who are like, wait, when's the sex coming? And just letting you know, sometimes <laughs> on this episode, on these episodes, we like to just cover a unique story or a unique person of interest. And Marcia clearly is a person of interest with this. I mean, like doing your book stuff. This is super fun. You bring people to St. Louis that would other people wouldn't get to see. Um, but so anyhow, this is one of those stories. <laughs> we also did have uh, Dr. Ruth. Oh, you had Dr. Ruth. Oh, now you've got to tell me sex. all about Dr. Ruth. What's oh, all the horrible details there? <laughs> Dr. Ruth, was she was so much fun. She was so much fun. She she's First of all, she is as short as she looks. A very tiny little <laughs> like lady. Like five foot or something? And, yeah, I think she might be going at four nine now. Oh, wow. Um, but she needed a box to stand on to reach the microphone. Oh, um, but she was great. I mean, she's a sweetheart. Um, but she would say there was, I remember my daughter was with me that evening and she was young. And she said, uh, you know, you, I do not think, should be in the room. Wait, the room. how old was your daughter uh, at the time? I think my daughter was like nine, nine or ten yeah, at the nine time. Nine or ten's so. not bad. She probably already heard some of it. I <laughs> would think so, but it's okay, whatever Dr. Ruth said. But she was um, she was great. She was funny. She was always in control of the situation mm-hmm. um, and uh, had funny things to say, was very sweet to the security guards who were there watching her. She took them into the bookstore and <laughs> bought them copies of Sex for dummies oh. <laughs> to take home to their wives. I love sex um, for dummies. Like, are they cool? They didn't see that as an insult. Like, am I a dummy? Or <laughs> Not at all. Not at all. They're like, no, I could learn a lot from you, Dr. Ruth. Right. You know, I was thinking about that. That's kind of old school sex therapy to be like, no, we don't want kids to learn because new school sex therapists like me, we really do want kids. You know, they, they need to know how to advocate for themselves. They need to know their parts and they need to know how to say no. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. I totally agree with you on that. And, mm-hmm. and I even had even said to my daughter, you know, Dr. Ruth has her own philosophy on things and and Mm -hmm. you know that Daddy and I have our philosophy on things and Mm -hmm. so don't feel bad about this. um, But I totally agree with you, especially nowadays kids have to um, face things uh, a lot earlier than certainly I ever had to. Well, with the Um, internet and everything. Actually, I have a silly story about that. I had this one client who was both worried and um, excited about things because his son at like 11 started looking at porn. And so he's like, on the one hand, I'm proud. But on the other hand, I'm like, is this okay? Is he going to like, you know, basically explode? Yes. (laughs) I was like, he's going to be okay, but let's learn to monitor (laughs) some better decisions. (laughs) Maybe put it in the main room if you don't want to look at that stuff just yet. Right, right. But yeah, we've definitely changed the way we look at things. So that's cool you had Dr. Ruth. What are some, yes. What's some of the uh, most interesting stories you've heard doing your job? Oh, my. I know. Um, you've got to give me the scariest <laughs> ones, right? I hope you thought of a few. The, the scariest stories. <laughs> they don't have to be the um, scariest ones. Just interesting. <laughs> well, I, you know, I was very lucky because I can count on one hand um, the number of people who have been uh, difficult Oh, difficult. Um, oh, I didn't even think yes. about difficult people. Um, th- there have been um, some celebrities that have uh, that I would choose not to work with again. Let's put it that way. <laughs> um, th- who shall rename nameless? Okay, tell Re- me one nameless, nameless person, but um, the story that you would want everyone to hear. <laughs> uh, well, there was one gentleman who was quite full of himself. 
um, and decided that rather than having the program start when the program was advertised to start, uh-huh. um, he would keep the 1,200 people who were sitting in the audience waiting for him, waiting. For he how long? He just wasn't ready. <laughs> um, he was uh, approximately 30 minutes late. To show um, up. To show up. Okay. Um, for no reason. Absolutely, he just wasn't ready to come down. He to, likes to be to take the ride over fashionably the, late. <laughs> he he had absolutely no good reason for it. Is he used because. to having somebody headline for him? Maybe or wait, he would be the headliner. Is he usually there's a starter? Maybe he was expecting. <laughs> there was absolutely no reason given other than he'll come down when he's ready. Um, and, All right, and then I have to say that his presentation was not that great. <laughs> So they all waited, and he was subpar as a speaker. <laughs> yes, yes. Now, that having been said, people were very excited to have met the celebrity that he was. All right. Um, but uh, I, you know, that kind of behavior is just not very nice. For me, I'm um, such a stickler so, on time. I'd be like, you're never coming here again, ever. Yes, <laughs> yes. It's yes. um, funny. But that, that was, uh, other than, I mean, really, there have been very few people, there have been, uh, people who've gone the other way, who have just been so gracious and mm-hmm. so lovely. And um, Henry Winkler, um, the Fonz. The Fonz. Uh, right? We met the Fonz. How All fun. the way back to the Fonz. And, and now, of course, you know, he's done so much other stuff, directing and producing and mm-hmm. and writing. And he had that, uh, the show that he does with um, George Foreman and Terry Bradshaw and, and William Shatner. Mm-hmm. And the four of them travel around the world together, which is hysterical. Um, but he was just the sweetest, sweetest person. Went out of his way. He he gave a great presentation. And then there was a dinner afterwards. He actually took a napkin, draped it over his arm, went around to all the tables. He would come up behind people and go, is your dinner okay? Is there anything I can get for you? And people would, you know, like actually turn around thinking it was the waiter saying, could you get me? Oh, look who it is. Oh, <laughs> just to throw people off. Right. I would love right. to be Served by the Fonz. <laughs> it, it was great. It was great. He was very sweet, very generous man, um, and actually very helpful in the future because when there were other celebrity authors that I wanted to get, he mm-hmm. reached out to the ones he knew. Oh, that's really me. nice. So he was like good yeah. networking too? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> um, he helped me get Marley Matlin when she started writing. Mm-hmm. Um, funny story with Marley Matlin, um, when she was speaking, uh, she had her interpreter Jack was with her, and he was speaking while she was signing her presentation because she's deaf. And uh, at one point, he was talking and she had stopped signing. And she turned around and looked at him and said, are you getting ahead of me? (laughs) And he had to apologize because he had kept talking when she had taken a break and he hadn't noticed that she had taken a break for a minute. So that was very funny. Um, and also when people were asking questions of her, there there were a couple of people who tended to yell their questions at her. <laughs> like she'd suddenly hear them yes. through her deaf ears, yes. right? <laughs> <laughs> yes. I actually have so. a similar situation because my mom is deaf. And so like, but I didn't know like as a kid that she was. So I learned to yell and be very expressive with my hands. Although it comes in handy now because I'm a speaker. So when I talk, I'm like, rah! <laughs> 
<laughs> so you can never not hear me. <laughs> yeah, there you go. But it also is very helpful to anybody talking to you, mm-hmm. deaf or not. Exactly. I'm super expressive. A little bit ob- obnoxious and annoying expressive, too. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't believe that. Well, so you also do, like, so it's not just that you get the authors, but don't you do kind of like a cool event with each author that comes in as well, like something special or kitschy? Tell me about your little events, your big events, really. They're not little. We we try to create a different event for each author. Mm -hmm. So, uh, for instance, when Bob Gibson came in, um, I did it with the Cardinals. Uh, We did it down at Ballpark Village. Mm -hmm. Um, We did a live broadcast with Camo X Mm -hmm. first. Um, and then we did a, a private where you could come and meet Bob and get him to autograph his book for you. Uh, Rawlings worked with us, and they gave these really great red Cardinals tote bags mm-hmm. out to everybody who was there. Uh, we had a drawing for door prizes. We had autographed baseballs um, and other great prizes. Uh, Build-A-Bear uh, donated gift certificates for their Redbird mm-hmm. um, dolls. And it was just it was just a great fun atmosphere, and uh, we were in a room that had a balcony that looked out over into the par into the uh, Bush Stadium. Mm-hmm. So it was just a very baseball-y, beautiful day kind of fun nice. event. Uh, we also uh, did an event with um, Laurie R. King, who writes the Mary Russell Sherlock Holmes books. So we did that at Marianne's Tea Room in the Central West End okay. and had a good proper British tea. Of course, um, as one know, does, you need right. British tea. Um, and you need food when you're doing it. <laughs> did event. everybody wear like cool so, hats? They did not. They were more interested in eating and drinking. No, you need cool hats and boas. That is proper tea. (laughs) (laughs) We'll work on that for the next one. (laughs) Oh my God. I actually did something like that in Hawaii when I lived there. There was a place where you could go and they had like hats and boas at the door that you could dress up in. So it was like dress up tea. And I was like, that is the coolest thing ever. That was the theme of the restaurant though. So super cool. (laughs) I'll have to find an author who does something like that. Yeah, I don't know. That could be fun. But so you do. You do really cool events associated with their science. It's not just, all right, here you are. You know, you try to make it kind of fun and interesting. Yes. Everyone should, um, every event should kind of stand by itself and and have a purpose. And also, we give a portion of the proceeds from each event to Mm -hmm. a different charity. And it's usually a charity that either has a connection to the theme of the book or it's a charity that means something to the author. Um, so, for instance, Bob Gibson, um, he said he had a lot of issues with racial discrimination when okay. he played for the Cardinals. Um, so we picked two charities here in St. Louis, uh, Cultural Leadership and the Ethics Project, to give the money to. Um, when we did uh, Lisa Scandalini, who writes uh, legal thrillers, we did it with the St. Louis Bar Association and gave it to their legal fund. Because, mm. um, so of course, pick- in a thriller sort of situation, then you'll need a lawyer for all the horrible things that you did in the book. That's correct. <laughs> there was a murder in there. It's a murder mystery. That's Lawyers right. are always involved. Always. <laughs> Got to find one. Um, and when we did Leslie Stahl, her book was on grandparenting. Oh. And we did it with St. Luke's Hospital and their new neonatal center. So the money went there. And so, so why do you do that part? Like, um, is there a reason that you decide to give back you just really like you know fundraising or is it just part of I mean what, what's what's the purpose behind it for you guys um, well for me personally I've always felt um, good about making partnerships or matches mm-hmm. um, you know working together with groups to just build things yeah um, and it 
it makes sense to give back to the community. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I'm bringing someone, an author or an artist in mm-hmm. for people in St. Louis to meet, then there should be something that is good for St. Louis um, that comes out of the program. I see. So you're so. wanting to give back in some way. You give by bringing this cool person into the St. Louis community and the people get to meet them, but they also give back in that sense of like, you know, hey, this is St. Louis. We want to build and grow in some way. Correct. That's really That's cool. Correct. Yeah. Well, so I also know Marcia. I'm saying it really slow and Thank meticulously. You. Well done. Thank you. I know. I'm getting really proud of myself. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyhow, I also know you on a personal level. We've been friends, friendly yeah. for a time. And I, I know your husband, you know, that um, your husband, um, he has, he's in a wheelchair. He has yes. a disability. Why don't you yeah. tell me a little bit about that? And then I'll ask a few questions sure. further. Sure. <laughs> Um, so, uh, my, my husband, Joel has had, um, challenging health times, sure. um, on our second anniversary. Well, first of all, uh, we met in high school, okay. so we've been together for a very long time, over 30 years. Um, and on our second anniversary, he was diagnosed with a brain tumor. Okay. So, um, had a little neurosurgery, had a little radiation treatment, um, and, you know, things seemed to be getting better after that. Um, and then about um, eight years after that, um, he started to have some uh, more issues, uh, limping and, and such. And they uh, did some more tests and they said, oh, guess what? Now you have multiple sclerosis. Oh, wow. So um, now he has multiple sclerosis. And Mm -hmm. uh, over the years, um, you know, it's multiple sclerosis is a progressive disease. Uh, So he is now in a wheelchair. Um, But, uh, you know, going back to the original topic of your your podcast— Yeah, relationship health and sexual health. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So he was— 25 years old uh, when he was diagnosed with the brain tumor. Okay. Um, and uh, he's my husband has a great sense of humor, which is um, <laughs> the, the main way we get through crises in our life is through humor. I think it's um, a great coping technique. Uh, oh, yes. <laughs> Perhaps the only one in certain circumstances. <laughs> it, yeah, it's been the only one a lot of times. Mm-hmm. Um, but he had uh, said to me that he, this is way back when, um, that he was going to go see a, a neurologist. And I said, why? And he said, well, I'm, I'm having trouble getting the key in the, in the lock of the front door. And, um, you know, the, uh, I, I asked, he asked a doctor friend of ours who said, uh, well, you know, I, I don't know if that's a real problem or not. Is the, is it the lock? Is it you? What? And so Joel said to me, well, I figured when I missed my mouth with the fork, when I'm eating, then I should really go see a doctor because then it's a problem. Then he has an eating problem. Right. <laughs> and he said, and then I missed my mouth. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, we, you know got to check all that out. Um, we When we went to see the, the neurosurgeon before the brain surgery, um, you know, it, he was 25, I was 23, we were really scared. Um, I thought that'd be really t- difficult being that young and having to face a, you know, a big life-threatening situation. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, and so he's, you know, telling us what they're going to do and, and all of that. And, and you know, there's my husband who was a, um, you know, a runner and a basketball player and a tennis player and a golfer. I mean, he was very sporty. 
And uh, so he says to the neurosurgeon, Mm -hmm. who was a great, great guy, wonderful man, um, and and very funny. Um, And my husband says to him, am I ever going to be able to play golf again? Mm. And the neurosurgeon looks at us with a totally straight face and says, oh, you'll be playing golf four weeks after the surgery, no problem. But I have to tell you guys, no sex for five years. <laughs> and the two of us you were like, looked what? at each other and was like, really? <laughs> and he goes, I'm kidding. Oh my I'm goodness. Kidding. Look at you two. I'm kidding. I would be like, this is not going to happen. <laughs> I, I'll let you die. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. That's funny. terrible. This, no, wait, this is not funny. Um, interestingly enough, um, our daughter was born five years after the surgery. Wow. So that's when you guys first started <laughs> <And> so, again. <laughs> um, so the doctor who we remained friends with um, called her our love child. It's your love child. Yes. Like now that you're allowed to have sex, <laughs> you finally right, went to you town. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. That's a good joke though. Cause I mean, really yeah. you're scared of like, I mean, basic things. So for that, I think that made it a little bit easier to yes. handle the situation. It, it definitely, definitely gave us a, a good laugh out, out of those things. Um, what, was some, so. what were some of the things that you guys learned along the way then, you know? Cause I mean, I could imagine like, so it didn't start that way. It's not necessarily something you, I mean, quote, signed up for, but you live, you, you're you married and you decided you guys are going to work through it. So I'm curious, what were some of the uh, things you had to learn to work through as a team? If that's an okay question. Yeah, well, lots of things. I mean, humor, humor, humor. Humor, humor. Um, I, I do remember that uh, um, while my husband was in the hospital recovering from the brain surgery, um, my brother-in-law, who is a great joker, um, took a took a Playboy magazine and a Forbes magazine and took the cover off the Forbes magazine <laughs> and glued it onto the Playboy magazine and brought it for my husband to read in the hospital. What a great and, person. Um, it was like, you know, there, there's my husband in intensive care with this Forbes magazine and he goes to open it and the centerfold falls out. And, uh, you know, it was just things... Things like that. Um, so basically pranking each other is that oh, way to work through constant things. Constant pranking. There, <laughs> there was... Uh, I wonder if um, there's research behind that. Like couples who prank each other stay together. <laughs> that, you know, if, if you don't laugh through some of this stuff, um, I don't know how you get through it. My, uh, my father was an anesthesiologist and he said to my husband, um, you know, Joel, I have to tell you that sometimes under anesthesia... You know, it can act a little bit like a, you know, truth serum, if you will. Oh, really? So if there's anything you haven't told my daughter, (laughs) now's the time to tell her. And so smart-ass husband says, oh, you mean like about my girlfriend, Sophia? Mm -hmm. Uh Mm-hmm. Everybody, very funny, very funny. So after the surgery, um, Joel had a particularly bad post-operative time, and he was out of it for several days. Okay. And when he started to come back up, you know, everybody's huddled around the bed and the doctors are talking to him and they're asking him, do you know what the date is? Mm-hmm. You know, do you know what the what the time is? You know who the president is? They ask you all these yeah, questions. Yeah, just make sure you're kind of coherent. Right. And then they point to me and they say, do you know who this is? And he gets this smirky little <laughs> smile on his face and he goes, 
Sophia. Uh, and everybody cracks up. So that's really very cute. funny. I would have gone, I have no idea who she is. <laughs> Just to mess around. <laughs> like, who is that? Get her out. <laughs> exactly. Um, so is is things like that that you know to to joke through those situations and mm-hmm. um, see now after that I would imagine you guys using that as a role play later on in your sex life I know you don't want to talk about that but I'm like I would totally do that <laughs> Sophia's here honey <laughs> no now we joke about things like um, like Siri for some reason Siri cannot say my name. Oh, really? Really. So Joel will say to Siri, because he uses a lot of voice-activated software now, mm-hmm. but he'll say to Siri, call Marcia. And Siri will say, calling Marcia. <laughs> and I'll say, you know what? I don't like Siri very much at all. Well, you know, my GPS says King Shyway, so like, I think oh. they just all struggle. <laughs> <laughs> that could be it. <laughs> or, or Siri has a secret, like crush on your husband right. and isn't letting you know and so she's purposefully saying your name wrong just to like mess with you that I would call be, that gaslighting that's right because <laughs> Siri is it's like what's your name Sophia <laughs> I know <laughs> that's oh, what it is he's got it well and you know Siri's got that really sexy sensual voice where do you want to go <laughs> it's like anywhere you take me Siri I'll go, go anywhere <laughs> Well, that's great. Well, you know, I mean, we're we're kind of towards the end of the episode. So Mm -hmm. I guess my question would be to you, what would be something if somebody ever is in a situation like this and, you know, because like people go through all kinds of interesting situations in life. And I got to be honest, you know, I think dealing with a disability can be its own challenge. And so if you were to give advice to somebody who's in that situation, like, and it kind of just hits you in the way that it did with you, you know, where you, you were young, you weren't expecting that. What kind of advice would you give to people? Um, I know, like, go, you have to tell everybody how to solve their problems now. (laughs) Well, I think there's, there are a number of things. I mean, one, you know, reach out to as many people as you can to create a support system. Um, I like that advice. (laughs) Find as many experts, true experts as you can um, on the subject to make sure that you are getting the best care, Mm -hmm. um, following the best advice. Uh, so that you're, if it's a medical issue, that you're following the best path for your treatment. Absolutely. Um, Personally, I think being aggressive and assertive in your medical treatment is really important. Mm -hmm. Um, And you have to be an advocate for your own health or your loved one's health because I've heard, nobody I've learned else that a lot. is going to do that for you. Like you almost end up being the researcher for your own cause and the person yes. who drives it forward somehow. Absolutely, yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, there have been times when Joel has been hospitalized where um, because of the MSA he hasn't been able to talk. Mm. And so I will put signs up around his hospital bed that say he cannot talk. Ask him only yes, no questions. Oh wow! And that's really smart. Yeah, but it doesn't matter because people they'll don't come read, in and they they'll say whatever. And then I will literally put the sign like on the pillow next to his head, like put it so on a necklace, yeah, under him, exactly. And he can point. Um, right. At least he can point, though. You yeah, know, yes, like that no, helps exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, so you definitely, you, if if you don't have a caregiver, you need to find someone to be an advocate because nowadays it's just it's the medical pathways are so crowded um and Mm -hmm. humor i can't say humor enough because if when you can't laugh is when you get depressed and you get 
saddened and you just, it overwhelms you. It's mm-hmm. like a roller coaster and the highs are really high and the lows are incredibly low. So you well, gotta... I'd, I'd put in a little research on that. Like I love comedy and humor and what I've noticed is part of why it's such a helpful coping technique is it's giving you distance from the situation. And so, um, you know, just like when you go see a therapist, so I'm a therapist, so you guys know. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And part of the reason people come see me is I have a little bit of a distance and perspective from that situation. But humor requires you to look back in some way and laugh at the situation. And so that, that same level of distance, whether you're coming to me to help you get that distance or you're creating it yourself through humor helps people to cope better. And so I 100% agree. And I've seen it help in so many different ways. And to even be able to laugh in a tragic situation takes, I think, a lot of intelligence and ability. (laughs) And frankly, you know, when you're in a loving relationship with someone with a disability, um, you have to have a sense of humor when it comes to sex, too, because oh, absolutely. <laughs> sometimes things don't work the way they used to work. So she's like, oh, no, I wasn't planning to be in this position, but here I am now. <laughs> so let's see what we can do with it. <laughs> absolutely. Well, thank you again. Is there anything? Um, I always give my, my guests a chance to plug something finally. So what kind of plug would you like to put in for, of course, the business, if anybody wants to find you? Um, well, Meet Me St. Louis will be having uh, off programs again in 2019. So if people go to Meet Me St. Louis, it's meetmestlouis.org, O-R-G, they can see uh, past programs, but they can also see listings for programs that will be in 2019. And hopefully people come out and meet some of the authors and artists and Mm -hmm. uh, have a good time with us. Excellent. Thank you again for being on the show. Marcia Evers Levy, as in Chevy. That's right. (laughs) And of course, you've been listening to www.aboutsexpodcast.com. If you want to find me as a therapist, visit www.therapistinstlouis.com. And of course, you can also check out my books, Helping Couples Overcome Infidelity or Premarital Counseling at Amazon. Uh, So feel free to email your questions at aboutsexpodcast at gmail.com. So many dot coms, so little time. (laughs) And we may answer them online. I'm your host, Angela Skirtu. Stay kinky, St. Louis.